I'm Sensational Sense. And I'm Death Metal Douglas. And this is Savanting the Idiot. Yes, it is. So, for our first uh, little talk, I guess we're going to talk about, we just completed doing our new intro to And to I the know show. the folks out there just love it. Musical, we love it. You better love it. extravaganza. You know what? If you don't love it, you better make sure I'm not in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we figured we wanted it to sound spontaneous. We wanted to ha- capture the energy, like punk energy. So we didn't want to think about it too much. And we r- literally, we didn't think about it too much. Doug literally just wrote a riff on the spot. And we decided we're just going to chant Savanting the Idiot over it. And it all came together. It sounds pretty cool. I, I, Except I'm for one it. spot where I thought I could do... S- Play like Dave Mustaine of Megadeth. Yes, he was insistent on matching the double bass cadence <laughs> with the guitar. I want it to sound like a machine gun. <laughs> yep, anyway. that 16th note thing doesn't always work when you're just the bass player. Yeah. It didn't work out today, for instance, so we didn't go with it. But everything else, man, I think we got, I think we got ourselves a, a theme song. Well, intro, as I was saying earlier, it's like, Everything that goes over that double bass section is just like we got the vocals, we got the best guitar. I mean, everything's just you know, it's yeah, I think it's the best. It came together. Like I really said, well. if you don't like it, go to the other room. <laughs> <laughs> the upper room. <laughs> go, go, yeah, go, go to the torture room in the back, <laughs> the bunker. Oh God! <laughs> so you were saying something to me earlier. It's funny because today was a busy morning. I was t- telling Doug, it's like Murphy's Law: what can go wrong will go wrong. And I was doing a sound check before Doug got here, and he's taking the bus over to my house so that we could start on this uh, endeavor that we're doing, which included getting the the, the song intro done and doing the show. And uh, wouldn't you know it, so, uh, one of my buttons came Mr. loose. Mr. Amplifier. Yeah, on the amplifier. So when <laughs> Doug got here, I had the amplifier in pieces, literally. I had to throw the damn thing back together. And you, while I was doing that, you mentioned um, you mentioned something about, uh, what, was, what was it? Uh, I guess I was talking about, um, was it the radio show I listened to? And, and um, Yeah, you mentioned a few things. That was one of them. Yeah, could, that was. Could elaborate yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um. No, we were talking about um, we had this song that we really that you really liked that no trend thing or whatever. But where I got it from was a radio show, and uh, I had just watched the load uh, the Bobby Load um, documentary. Movie, uh, documentary. Well, actually, it's on the band, not just Bobby. You know, Jeff yeah. and 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 uh, you know, it was uh, definitely uh, interesting. But um, I never the guy that did the radio show, Bob Slade. I started listening to him in 1985, and I'm watching this movie. I finally get to see what he looks like, and he looks a lot like I pictured him, only older, like my age now, okay. you know, or a little older. I think I would say he's probably born in '62, '63, you know, uh, towards more towards the beginning of the Generation X thing. But but you you actually put a virtual picture together in your head that was actually act accurate because a lot it was of times some t- some similar yeah because well, he has that friendly guy look when he when you see him in yeah. the movie but he has kind of has that in his voice to begin with so i just figured he was a normal guy with like a short haircut or whatever i never get that really... virtual picture right whenever i hear somebody like on the radio they or sound totally yeah, totally different yeah, when, when, you when see i them. see them i'm like what the fuck i was way off <laughs> well that's the weird thing yeah. someone like howard stern i saw him on tv first so i never yeah. got a chance to hear him and but not if you're know. yeah your imagination goes crazy if you just hear a voice you know 
But um, I never pictured Bob Slade with like a mohawk or, you know, he's playing a lot of punk rock stuff, but I always thought he was just like a normal looking guy. Yeah. I mean, I liked all that crazy music, but I had a normal haircut and I didn't dress weird. You know, I just kind of looked like anybody else at school. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't wear punk like on my, you know, I didn't come look at looking like a punk rocker in high school. So how'd you come about to the show as far as discovering I used to see, like, uh, I would go to Peachers and some of these record stores, and I used to see these little uh, off-the-beaten-path, like, record charts and stuff. And, like, some of that music, I was already either seeing it on MTV or somebody else might have had an album or something like that. Or, you know, K-102, they were playing some of that music, but they stopped in 82 or 83 or whatever it was. But when I first started listening to Off-the-beaten-path, it was, like, summer of 85, but it was just like uh, all of a sudden, like take the skinheads bowling, Camper Van Beethoven, that no trend song, Teen yeah. Love. It was just like all this crazy music coming at me at once. But it wasn't just that radio show. Spin Magazine happened at the same time. Okay, so it was a good name, an appropriate name, as far as being off the beaten off the path, beaten path. Because yeah. it literally that's where it took you. Uh, musically, so it opened up a whole different uh, yeah. world of music for you. He was there. already playing some stuff I already liked. He was playing R.E.M., The Cure, and, you know, I already knew about Suicidal Tendencies, but I didn't know any other hardcore Pepsi. punk. Uh, you know, Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't realize, I didn't even know at that time, that year, they did a video for that song, because I didn't see the video until a couple years ago. Yeah. I think you might have had it on on your Facebook. And no, I was like, I, yeah, I've never I sent, seen this. Oh, I sent it to you too because we were talking. I think about that it. was a couple years ago, or maybe a year ago. But and I, I was on that kick where it was, I was like, all he wanted was a Pepsi, man. I don't think all I'd seen the video before that. And if I had seen it, maybe it was once, not yeah, long. Yeah, he's before all that. choloed out and just yeah, walking, he's all yeah, you know, walking through the whole video. It's 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 cool. Fucking well, that video. was the big thing with them early on with Louis Siorga, yeah. the bass player. Okay, those two main guys. Yeah. Um, they were always like, you know, they got the headbands on, they had different suicidal shirts. It was a very cholo gang thing, yeah. yes for sure. You know. I showed you that Henry Rollins thing where Black Flag were doing their uh their their show in Mike Murr's garage. Yeah. Remember that? It's that, like the long haired yeah, guy quit Des. That's a great pick too. Yeah, that was yeah. the the guy with the Hendrix shirt yeah. on, he was quitting the band, Des Cadenia. Okay. He's got the hair down to here and everybody else has got a buzz cut. <laughs> it's funny. Wow. It's like one of these guys doesn't fit the other. I don't know. It's pretty funny. So but yeah, how um, often when he when he did that show off the beaten path was once it like, a week. But did he talk a lot or or, or did he play mostly music or was he, it pretty good? You know, it was mostly of, music. So it wasn't like a bunch of talk radio. Well, he either. he did he just like talked about the bands a little bit, but not much. And then he would mention the upcoming concerts at the Cameo Theater, which I went to have not nearly enough of. Okay, but. Uh, I would uh, listen. His show came on Monday nights at like midnight. So I everybody else in the house is asleep. I had to go downstairs. No, I mean this is when we were. uh, No, uh, that was later on when we had a townhouse. But no, I would go. I would sneak to the scenario in my dad's office. Okay. And um, did you have earphones on? No way. He was already gone by then. Yeah, no, I had it. I had no earphones, but I had the volume turned all the way down to where I could barely hear it, so nobody your, else your, outside your heard. Right oh yeah, I felt like I was really sneaking around yeah. doing something wrong because it was just like, That's cool. I'm not supposed to be up at this time. That's rock and roll. <laughs> and I and I have like maybe seventy That's to eighty, maybe a hundred tapes of that show. 
yeah, it was kind of rebellious, but it was, I wasn't harming anybody. Yeah. But man, it was kind of like, I don't want anybody to wake up and find out I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. So it has that element of, you yeah. know, like. So you said it, it changed your whole uh, musical outlook. Yeah. In a lot of, yeah, oh yeah. Cause it was like, uh, you know, everything else was like MTV, major labels. Uh, you know, the only thing that was indie that I heard was suicidal. They weren't on a major label, but man, they were on MTV and they were on Miami Vice. So they yeah. were pretty. Kind of close to the mainstream. That's an accomplishment. For a band that's not on a major label to be that all over the place. Frontier Records, that's not a a big label at all. They were like a a mid-sized independent label. But their cash cow is Suicidal Tendencies. (laughs) Christian Death, Suicidal Tendencies, and uh, I think uh, the Adolescents were another punk band that sold pretty well on their label. But, uh, you know, they did college rock stuff too. Thin Right Rope were a good band, but... uh, you know, suicidal was like their. I don't know. I don't know how well that album did, but I didn't start. I didn't hear it until like a year and a half after it was already out. It came out in '83. Okay. But it was like, uh, you know, I heard a little bit of Dead Kennedys, uh, and I, I, it didn't seem like I heard anything else before that radio show started because I started buying records based off of what I heard. I used to buy weird stuff in the record store. I'd see an album that like I didn't even know who the band was, but the the uh, the the album cover looks really cool. Or I read a review in a magazine somewhere. There was a band from Athens, Georgia. They sound kind of like REM. They were called Pylon, but they had, a gr- they had a girl singer. Their album came out in 1980, about a year, about a year or two before REM started putting Did out. Did you say they were on an end- independent label? Pylon. Uh, yeah, or? they were on. Uh, Is there a song Irid- that, that iridescent it- records was the name of the label? I think. Is there a song that made it like? semi-mainstream or something to where well they had a song called volume that opened the album up Mm -hmm. but i think that might have been on k102 but i don't think they played any indie label bands on k102 i think it's all major label stuff like adam and the ants was like columbia so and this is before he went solo um or any of the like uh you know the new wave stuff a lot of that was like you know already you know bands that were pretty popular and and whatnot but uh you know, uh, yeah, Pylon, they uh, they were from Athens, but their guitar sound is very similar to R.E.M. And I think R.E.M. kind of picked up on that, the real twangy Rickenbacker yeah. sound. But they had more of a punchy kind of post-punk sound, too. So R.E.M. was a little more just like straight up like a rock sound. The girl had an abrasive voice, whereas Michael Stipe is kind of mumbly, but he's still pretty melodic and stuff. But yeah, I never I never heard their music. I saw the album. It looked cool, so I bought it. I, I bought a few albums like that before I started hearing them on the, ra- the that radio show. But that was just the thing I would do. I'd go through a record yeah. store. Yeah, when I, I was, I just asked you that when when we went to your pad. I was asking what if you had a a, a record collection, you know, an album collection. Uh, I used to. I used to have like twenty three, twenty four hundred albums. It yeah. took up the whole wall, like. Probably from where that PA speaker is all the way to the next one was like two giant shells. For those that can't see, that's yeah, that's that's, at least you know a ten foot span or something. Yeah, I would say yeah, about four or five span uh, going across, and then probably six feet high. I don't know. Like it was pretty large. And uh, when I was living in Hollywood, I wound up selling all those records, and I only have like I have like crap left over. No one will buy. Yeah. But How many records you have? Probably like seventy five. Yeah, yeah. You know, out of like twenty three hundred, that's kind of not too many. And Plus, I don't have anything to play them have, on anymore. I was so. going to say is 
it's because you can't sell them is the only reason why you're hanging. Well, on, there was a few. Them? There was a few albums that had like signatures on them that I didn't want to oh. get rid of. A couple Minutemen albums that had. Is that Mike? Can you get any money on eBay if you try to post it? At, well. Any, I, anything worth anything, you think? The, the only signature? thing I sold on eBay, as far as records are concerned, the little 7-inch records. I don't call them singles, because some of them were like 33-speed with like four or five songs on them. Yeah. But then the ones that are 45-speed generally only had two or three songs on them, so those are almost like singles. Okay. But like, I remember one punk, uh, 45, one punk's, they called 7-inch records, because this was 33-speed. It had like 11 songs on it. I mean, granted, each song was like about a minute long or whatever, yeah. but still, it's just like... But it's an album on a seven-inch... Yeah, well, it was like vinyl, um, right? they put as much on one side as they could because they had it 33 speed instead of yeah. 45 speed. Okay. And that kind of kills the quality of the sound a little bit, too. I mean, but these are like grungy four-track recordings of punk bands that were just like... You know, it's real just nasty sounding anyway. It's just they weren't really... I think that concerned with the actual with sound quality. quality. They just wanted to cram 11 goddamn <laughs> songs on a small record. Quantity over quality. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's punk rock, man. <laughs> it is. We were kind of going for the quality and the qu- the quantity today with that song. Well, yeah, you know? I mean, you want a decent recording. Well, nowadays, and it's not like we're recording the vinyl and all that shit or... All that. At least I got a decent setup. It's just a matter you of... You add the little album pops with a DS or whatever it is you use <laughs> for make, that. Yeah. Don't they actually have plugins that literally No, I've make seen it, that, yeah. You know, it'll make it sound like a, a, a damn a record But the, player. the funny thing is, is they don't really... The overall idea of the whole vinyl thing is... And this is, this is kind of weird because, you know, the only way you can get true analog on that that disc okay. is you you, know, you have to record on a reel-to-reel tape. Um, when you do your mix down, it can't be on DAT, it can't be on a computer or any kind of hard drive. It's got to be two-track analog reel-to-reel. It's got to be and the, the way they edited way they did it. And, and the, the way it was edited, I learned this in recording school, They would, you would edit it with razor blades. I remember we had Blondie's Heart of Glass. Yeah, everybody in the, the class, everybody edited. in the class, yeah, we had to edit Blondie's Heart of Glass. Okay. We had to cut out like part of the keyboard solo or some part of, of the song. We had to cut with a razor blade, and I always got the best marks out of anybody in the class. I didn't even know you did any class. kind of recording school. Actually, this is news to me. Right oh, now. I guess that's something I forgot to mention. Yeah. Yeah. And well, after the army, I messed around in Atlanta, you know, uh, with those bands okay. I was telling you about. And also trying to, uh, I was just working in restaurants, but I went to Art Institute in like uh, 1994 to 96. So this, the, 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 the actual class you took was a recording class as far oh, as I had a bunch of those classes. Okay, I just so wasn't that interested in that stuff I'll, back then. I was still getting A's and B's in the classes, uh-huh. but I was just like, I just want to play music and listen to it. I didn't care about, you know, but you a tube amp learning, versus a solid state amp gear. I didn't give a shit school, about gear. The old school way of recording, though. Because they still... were doing both. They showed us Pro Tools, but they showed us like reel-to-reel, okay. uh, 24-track reel-to-reel. So and uh, both. And we, oh, that's interesting. We they had us in the school with the, with the eight the, the two track mix down. Mm-hmm. That's the mix down that goes to the vinyl. That's record. the master, you know, for the vinyl. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. So the weird thing is, is and it's so funny because I knew a band that had they were on a record label. They were so psyched because they were like guys that loved vinyl records, kind of like I did back then. Yeah. And then they were like they found, they were really bummed out to find out that the mix down tape was dat. 
So basically, digital music going on a vinyl record, it's just like a it's CD mute anyways. Point. It's like, yeah, what, it's, if it's what the just, fuck are you just doing? having you're a actually, CD on a vinyl record. Yeah, it's kind of like you're talking about the plugins that make it sound like a record, yeah. but it's never going to be a record because it's not analog. Exactly. So, so there you go. I, with and that's whole another thing, thing I didn't get. Like, I know a lot of hipsters nowadays, and, and that they've brought to life actual vinyl again it's funny how that dips up and and, and, and that weird cassette down, thing too with kids that are like in their 20s yeah. it's like wow what the hell where the yeah. hell that come from I'm, i don't really get the vinyl thing well i i do but like if i have a preference it's not like i'd collect you know in this day and age go out of my way to collect vinyl because yeah i was sounds- the only one buying records in the 90s everybody went to yeah. cd and i was just like but oh wow the records are really cheap i can buy a bunch of them now yeah just bunch, just like fill up the cabinets filled with stuff, you know, because the, <laughs> the the vinyl records were like $3, $2, $1, depending on what album you were buying. But I never bought anything for more than like four bucks if it was used. If I bought something brand new, it would be like seven bucks. Yeah. You know, with the CDs, when they were brand new back then, they were like 15 bucks. I didn't want to spend that kind of money. So I stayed Shit, with I vinyl, not because I had <laughs> such a big love for the vi- the format. It's just that it was more affordable. I liked I liked when the MP3s when they actually developed that technology, and in the days before Lars Ulrich decided he was going to make war on the people when everybody was st- stealing fucking MP3s. I loved that error because I was getting so much music for free, you know. And yeah. I know a lot of other people did too, but it wasn't like when I was a kid. I didn't have extra fucking. I was money too technology to dumb to do that. Music. I just like still had the CDs and the vinyl, but I had a computer for other whatevers. Now everything is in my iTunes. The CDs go straight to iTunes. Yeah, but back in the day, you know, before iPhones and all that, they had MP3 players that you could actually load up, you know, MP3s off there. And like I said, before Napster and before Lars decided that he wanted to be a fucking douchebag dickhead and. Take I on love that. Whole... I love that animation they did to those yeah. two. <laughs> what was he like? He's like, uh, we're gonna come to get you. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he decided he was he, he, he was not gonna have that. He took Metallicops. That. Yeah, <laughs> And it's amazing because now look, they have Spotify. All these you could still, if we, you wanted to, you could actually steal music, but people aren't doing it as much with these. Things like Spotify and Apple Music and all that, because it doesn't t- it doesn't cost that much. You know, you pay a dollar for a song, and you just yeah. buy the song you fucking want to listen to. You know, or you you have a subscription, like you know these places you pay, yeah. you know, seven dollars or whatever it is. A certain, yeah, yeah. To and, get and the, you can and download you have all the music you want. So why would anybody want to go out of their way to try to download music that's illegal? I mean, that's, I know, I understand me being on this side. I've never made money on the music end. So the, being that from that part, you could say, oh, well, fuck them. You know, no, it's, nobody's giving me any money. But if, if we did, if we did get signed and we were on the other side, I guess we'd be more like Lars and say, these guys are fucking stealing our, stealing our shit and they ain't paying. So I guess there, there are two legitimate sides to it well he just dove in too hard and fast with it is what it was he could have been a little more diplomatic about it from the get-go but he wasn't and he just god he turned himself into a villain for a lifetime yeah (laughs) like now it's like oh lars he's the worst drummer ever uh oh he's a it's funny how that goes on it's like never never, ends i me as a drummer i actually 
for a short time, I I kind of looked up to Lars when he was doing the, you know, one. But anyway, that I, I kind of looked up to him. You know, when I was a kid for that part yeah. of it, but now there's like everybody's, it just goes around that. Everybody's kind of, it's like Eddie Van Halen. It's like Eddie Van Halen. Everybody <laughs> surpassed him as a guitar player. You know, yeah. it's like that set the precedent like 30 years ago, but guess what? 30 years ago is 30 years ago. So there you go. But Lars got a huge ego about him anyway. I mean, I, oh, he's, he's terrible in that movie. I saw that movie, you know, it's just like, oh, he makes these awful paintings and makes all this money off them because he's Lars. Because he's Lars. But he's He's such a, a douchebag. He's got his own podcast, and he actually had Les Claypool on his podcast, and he was just trying to get Les Claypool to to tell everybody what a good drummer that he's. You actually said that I was a good drummer. Now tell everybody. You remember that? Remember when you said I was a good drummer? And Les Claypool. He like, actually did that. Yeah. He put him on the spot <laughs> like that. What a what a yeah. That's what a, a fuck weasel. Kind of that is a fuck weasel yeah, move. So. That is a you know, fuck weasel move from It's hell. like love and hate with Metallica. You know, you like their old stuff and all God that before damn. before you could actually know the, the kind of person that fucking Lars was, you could like, you know, the old school Metallica. The it? only thing I kind of liked about him in the movie is he was so, you know, he's so angry about Jason leaving the band. But you know, at the I same time, he was like, you could tell he was really broken hearted yeah. over it. He was just like, why did he quit the band? You know, he sounded like a douchebag, but yeah. I felt kind of bad for him because he really, you really well, kind of felt you like you keep turning his face down in the mix, you fuck. <laughs> well, they only did that for that one album. Yeah, they turn it way up later on. And you know, what's funny. The first al- record they did with them, the EP with the, uh, the, the cover songs on it, the bass is like real loud on that one. Yeah. And the Garage Days stuff where they're doing Killing Joke covers okay, and stuff. Yeah. They're doing like all that, all those, uh, those songs. That was like the first Metallica I ever heard and liked because when I was in high school, they were like playing Master of Puppets. I thought I was okay, but I, now I realize it's brilliance, but back then I didn't. Yeah. I, I but, feel exactly the same way. Like when I first, because there was people that were actually into them in, around me before I actually got into them and they and they were like oh they they were god to my friends but to me I was like ah, I don't I don't see you know why these guys are so into Metallica you know like, yeah just, but it was like but, I was telling you before all those thrash metal guys were like oh you're the one with the punk albums what's yeah. here what we want to raid your collection that kind of thing but Lars is just like I don't know it's like Everybody hates the album that Metallica did with Lou Reed. I think I'm like one of like five people that actually likes it. Okay. And I think Lars is drumming on the album's real good. Yeah. But if you can't get over Lou Reed doing his, um, you know, his old guy stories, then you're not going to be able to listen yeah. to it. But his drumming on it, it's great. And they don't play any guitar solos, of course. That's the thing with that style of music they're doing. But it's kind of metal mixed with hard rock and just Lou Reed doing Lou Reed stuff. And, you know. Man, he got like death threats over that shit, man. <laughs> like I would go on like well, I'm sure it's not the first group of death threats that he's received for numerous reasons, you know? He's fucking <laughs> he likes to be he, he, the 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 guy you love to hate, I guess. I no, I'm not talking about Lou Reed. I'm talking you talking no, about I'm talking about Lars. Oh, Lars, yeah, yeah exactly. I'm saying No, I'm talking about Lou Reed was oh. getting death threats, not oh, Lars. Oh, I thought you were saying Lars was getting no, death threats. No, Lou Reed cuz all the <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, but all the Metallica fans, like even the ones that didn't listen to them for like 
four albums ago or load or whatever. They okay. always hated them for a long time anyways. They hated them even more when they did the Lou Reed album. It's called Lulu. It came out in 2011. Wow. I fucking love that album. Yeah. I'm like one of five people on this planet that listens to it. <laughs> well, the but, thing with Lars is playing, I think, you know, when he started getting produced, when the whole Seattle scene broke... And they changed their style, and that's when when they would say that they actually sold out to go mainstream because they needed. To, that's when they started to get groove. Before the black that, album, yeah, there was no groove before that. You know, there was like no groove or or anything like well, you the, would say. The thing like with the black beta, album, like blues was, fundamentals. There was none of that shit. It was just but, robotic. You know, yeah. Clicking but the thing shit. with um, the black album is they were still a metal band with long hair. But they were like doing slower stuff, yeah. and you could hear the bass a lot louder in the mix. I'm, but then when they did I'm load, life. I'm the one who takes you there. That's a great fucking song. But I when they did song. load, it was kind of like they cut their hair short. Yeah. They're becoming alternica and all. Sad that. but true. That's one of my favorite songs that they, you know, and that shit's simple. You know, it's just. I mean, understand. I mean, even understand, man. It's like it's got a great riff to it, so you can't deny that. But. You know, um, you know, it just um, that's that's more riffy than groovy. But I tend to I gravitates towards metal groove, I guess. If you say, yeah, you know, like yeah, the, it's got that it's got that movement, but it's yeah, not exactly. just you know. It's well, not yeah, just the older thrash and 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 you know hardcore stuff was some of it was so fast, like you said, it lacked groove. Yeah, and that's why you would have to stop listening to Slayer and start listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers so you can watch yeah, girls balance yourself Watch girls out. throw their hips <laughs> the around a little bit, yang. right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's 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 so funny because it's like for a long time. I almost felt like as a bass player, I was becoming anti-group, playing with the pick, doing like yeah. abrasive chords okay. and not doing like breathing bass yeah. lines. That was long before I started playing with you. Yeah. But that was like my shtick for a while in the 90s. But that's what's one of the, the things you said me. Like I've, I love playing groovy. Like my drumming, even when I'm doing rock <laughs> projects, almost an element of funk to it because I, I like to feel, you know, it's the, uh, an element of kind of groove as opposed to just straightforward, you know, fucking blast beats don't do anything for me. No. You know? They don't get fuck girls goddamn, dancing for stars. Yeah, fuck <laughs> a blast beat, man. What? what, what I, it's, I don't get it. It's like, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I listen to quite a bit of death metal, and I like the blast beats. Yeah. in a lot of the death metal, it gets I listen old to, real but, quick though. And but it, um, but it's it when you're listening to blast beats, uh, then you have the drums. They're, they're just keeping time, really, because then it's all about the guitar. It's not really about the rhythm section it's not about drums and bass and all that yeah, you're just, just keeping so time for the guitars to 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 you know to celebrate themselves well it <laughs> so depends you know it's like every genre or subgenre of music has people that are good at it and people that are just hacks yeah that's i mean if too. i if i try to get somebody to listen to death metal i always try to point them to like stuff that's more musical like morbid yeah. angel you listen to Morbid Angel. Shit, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Yeah, Morbid and Angel. it's funny I because about those guys. Oh, and they're still around. But the the thing is, is you know earlier stuff they had is pretty good. It's fairly involved compositionally, I'm glad but it you gets said better. That. I'm gonna add that to my playlist. You know, yeah. I'm check them out because I haven't I, heard them in a long, ancient. It's been years. And what the cat? I'm stalking. Yeah. I'll take your soul and you'll be like me, emptiness. <laughs> and with that, we'll conclude. <laughs> oh, one last thing. Uh, Evil okay. Dave from Morbid Angels got a book out. I need to read that. It's I can't remember the title of it. It came out earlier Evil this Dave, year. What, what's his... That uh, was the bass player, the lead singer. Okay. I mean, it, it goes back and forth between him and another guy named Trey. 
He came back and into the band. And he just came out with a book, you're saying? Yeah, he came okay. out with a book like earlier this year. I can't remember the title of it. It was, but he his, it's Dave Vincent, and then it's like Evil Dave is his like his stage name, and I guess that's a wrap. We ended on death metal. Yes, death metal Douglas. <laughs> I'm Sensational Sense. You got death metal Douglas, and we are savanting the idiot. <laughs> <laughs>